Class is in session. Your most unconventional class. She talks all things, all subjects. It's the interdisciplinary podcast, hosted by your favorite doctor. This is what's the say with Doctor Kim Ray. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Dr. Kim Ray. Today we're talking wealth, but a different kind of wealth. You know that wealth that they say is recession-proof type of wealth. I don't know if that's so true, but anyway, we're talking about real estate today. That's right, and I brought on a really cool kind of guy that we'll be talking to in a minute. Uh, and we bring you different stuff every week. I mean, we're, we literally talk about all subjects, all things, right? As my dad just told you in the intro, we are the interdisciplinary podcast where we talk all things. So, you know, I try to bring you new subjects and things that you do not receive from those other competitive podcasts. And I try to bring them here to you. So if you like what we're doing, hit that subscribe button and click your notification bell below for your weekly reminders, what we have going on. All right, so let's bring on my real estate guru, our real estate guru, <laughs> the man who always has the keys. I don't have any keys because my keys are kind of like those, those automated, you know, those big things. I don't have any like keys that make noise. I needed some keys today though to, to introduce my man, Key Audrey, to the show. Please welcome Key Audrey to the show. Hello, Key. Hey, Dr. Kim Ray, how you doing? <laughs> it's really, really good down here in South Florida. It's, uh, we don't have any hurricanes that have hit us yet, so I have to say we're doing pretty good this hurricane season. How's it going up there in Charlotte? Oh, it's going fantastic. Beautiful city, beautiful people, beautiful vibe. That's the Charlotte way. <laughs> yes. Today, we're going to have a, a very, very intense talk about real estate and, and the things that are relating to real estate as it relates to history, the Civil Rights Act bill, the, the redlining, the gentrification that's taking place now, the rejuvenation as well, and also building wealth in real estate overall. Right, Key? We, we, got, a, we got a heavy show for them, right? Oh, it's going to be real heavy. It's going to weigh a ton. However, at the same time, mm -hmm. you're going to learn so much from it. You're going to enjoy it. And this is going to change your life. Whether you choose to use the, the, the knowledge that we give you Absolutely. or you just reciprocate it to someone else, it's going to change your life. I like that, Key. Say it to them. All right. Yeah. So we got our subscribers tuned in and ready to hear what we're going to be talking about. But first, I want to tell them a little bit about you, Key. So Key is a licensed real estate broker. He has about 10 years. 10 years, right, Key? About 10 years experience. And he, ha he loves to have his hands in the community as well. Matter of fact, let me tell you, this is how I met Key. You know, we both are engaged in community development and action. Yes. And that is how I met Key at a community event. And shortly after that, we became co-hosts on the ESPN radio show in Charlotte, Coffee and Cash Flow. And um, Coffee and Cash Flow is still on today. So you can still check Key out and the other co-hosts on the show where they talk Coffee is like the, the gossip, the, the, the hot topics that's going on. But they also talk cash flow. They talk money. You know, they talk taxes. They talk real estate with Key. And they talk Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and also uh, wealth management. So there's a lot of information on that show. And um, I was honored to be on the show with you guys and grow a relationship with you, Key. Honored. But Key also was on hosting Preps to Pros, which I don't think that's, that's no longer on ESPN, right, Key? But, yes, but, 
but it was there for a while. And that was a really cool show where you talk sports, um, yeah. preps to pros. So literally like the preparation of, of athletes to their professional careers. So it was a really dope show. <laughs> But he also, through his uh, media experience, he also is a sought-out motivational speaker. And yeah. um, I would encourage any of you to think about requesting him to come speak at your events or your meetings and things because he is a great speaker and he's highly, highly educated on a lot of different subject matters. And, he, and he's also engaging, as you'll see here if you haven't already seen it yet. But Key specializes in one thing, and I love this thing, this part of his bio that's really, really cool. He specializes in making your dreams a reality, like realty, like realtor. Realty, get it? No? Okay. All right. Maybe just me. <laughs> but now also, Key, you're on a board. You're on this very unique board. And, it, and you guys do some amazing and interesting things. I, I want to share with them that you are on the Unified Ordinance Development Board in Charlotte, North Carolina. So share with us, Key, what exactly does the Unified Ordinance Development Board do in Charlotte? We make it easier for the zoning board to look and file cases. So with the zoning board in the city of Charlotte, they focus on single family or single properties, whether it's commercial or residential. Okay. What we do, we set the rules and ordinance for a whole area. So just say that you have a particular area east side of Charlotte or east side of Miami or wherever, and there may be an ordinance where your signs have to be eight feet away from uh, a walkway or eight feet away from the street, or whatever the case is. We talk about different things down to a small detail mm -hmm. of a particular area to determine how we can make that area the highest, best use. Okay. All right. That, that's what I mean. That's an important job. You know, people don't understand that those things are happening in the wings, in, in the, behind the scenes, you know, and uh, so it, it's a unique role to have and very difficult to get into. And, and you're one of them. So congrats yeah. to you on that. You know, so let's segue into what we're talking about, though, today. So now that everyone has heard a little bit about you and your background and your your expertise, then they can understand why I chose you to be on this episode of the show today, right? So, Key, you know, we're talking about real estate and building wealth and the history behind how we got to the real estate problems or even successes that we have had through evolution and society developing and, and growing over the years. So I want us to, to begin by talking about the history behind this, the history behind the segregation and the the racism that took place through all of these years and and there are places across this country and i know for a fact and you can tell me mm -hmm. if i'm wrong key but i know for a fact that even charlotte north carolina a city that i love near and dear that i lived mm -hmm. in for 13 years and you still there are there and you still work in real estate there they mm -hmm. have places where the deed, the D-E-E-D-S, the deed, is, um, has some disclaimer in the deed that says that this property cannot be sold to a black, uh, only Caucasian individuals. And mm -hmm. tell me if I'm wrong, though, that is still happening, right, in Charlotte? Like, there are deeds that are like that. Am I wrong or am I right? Now that you, you're, you're on the money, uh, there's several 
different places in, in around Charlotte where you have these houses that may have been around since the 1800s or early 1900s yeah. that that still go. I mean, there's a place, uh, if you Google, it's called South Park. Uh, it's, it's where a lot of older people, older money lives, mm-hmm. Myers Park, that yeah, whole Myers area. Park. A lot of those places still have in their deeds and it covenants and restrictions that uh, Negroes cannot own property there. And when, when you, you speak about this mm-hmm. to local government, yeah. you know, their response normally is, it's too much to go and undo all this stuff. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is why it's so important to um, get involved in your local government yeah. and, and, and have some type of say-so mm-hmm. with these boards and such. But yes, Absolutely. That- wow. And so, you know, Key, if that's going on in Charlotte, subscribers, that is going on across the nation in other places as well, because Charlotte is a very metropolitan city. This is not some backwoods, uh, you know, just farmland city. This is a big city, you know. But I also want to bring up, Key, um, a little bit about this, the, the redlining. Redlining, you know, just so my subscribers know, redlining is a discriminatory practice, right? Where they basically have like fenced off certain, well, they, back in the day, they fenced off certain areas on like a map or something. And basically banks would avoid investments and and loans and things to people of black individuals uh, specifically. And lower income white families would be able to, receive funding and investments and loans for those same types of properties. But you would have an upper middle class or upper class black family that couldn't even get the same type of funding just because of the color of their skin. There was also reverse redlining, which is funny. Reverse redlining is, 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 it's not funny. It's actually evil to me. I mean, you literally have had people that were lenders who would target minority communities that were not in the red line uh, communities. They lived in the regular communities, but yet they would be charged more for mm-hmm. their mortgage just because they were black. It, so I, I want to talk a little bit about key, how history has taken us from what I just mentioned, the redlining yeah. and the beginning of the, the civil rights bills and post-slavery and even mm-hmm. post-segregation. What take us there and, and how w- we are where we are today in the real estate and housing uh, industry? Yeah, um, I'm more than happy to go over all that stuff with you guys. It's the history. So we look at the two civil rights bills. Uh, the first one was something put in play after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had Jim Crow laws that came from that in the southern states. You had a lot of minorities leaving the South, going to places like Detroit, Chicago, New York, D.C., you know, they live in these metropolitan areas, uh, had their families there. And then we go to 1964, the revised Civil Rights Act. And, and with yeah. this act, it's a, little, it's a little different in the sense of Dr. Martin Luther King partnered with uh, President Johnson to okay. make, make some kind of sedge way to, to help out minorities. And with this particular act, it allowed minorities from other countries like China, India, um, Central America, Africa to come to the U.S. Now, because the U.S. was very um, 
it still was very segregated. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of years later, we had the Great Society Bill that was passed in uh, 68, 69. Um, a lot of black neighborhoods where we owned and practiced group economics, mm-hmm. you have these, these people selling their business mm-hmm. going elsewhere. Now, if you go, go today, you look at a lot of the minority neighborhoods, even if it's a predominantly black neighborhood, you have a lot of Hispanics mm-hmm. owning commercial uh, real estate. You have Asians owning commercial real estate and you have Indians, you know, Africans, everybody else owning different commercial real estate, even though blacks are the ones pretty much taking in a lot of the economic exchange of commerce in these areas. Mm -hmm. So that came from 64. Mm -hmm. That happened from 64. Okay. And the biggest thing is that if you really want to make something happen, you have to have ownership. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's now go to this, dissect this great society bill that was passed in 69. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was said a couple of years before he got assassinated, he felt that he led his people into a burning building with this bill. Mm-hmm. Now, this bill really made a real and big impact in the U.S. So mm-hmm. when you had this bill, this bill, uh, it also introduced welfare because it was a war on poverty. Mm-hmm. And the welfare, you know, you, you had... It was in the bill where the man could not stay in the house. And if a woman Mm -hmm. had children out of wedlock, you'll get more money. So it was incentivizing having babies without having a father. A lot of women, you know, felt that they didn't need the man. And then a lot of the jobs that were in the communities, they end up packing up and leaving. My parents used to tell me about when they were in school, they could either have the opportunity to go to college or do some type of trade. They can learn how to be like a yeah. carpenter, a plumber, electrician, but they took all that stuff out when the Great Society Bill was made. And then we had this thing called white flight. Now, white flight happened all throughout the 60s to... White um, flight. White flight. Mm-hmm. You guys Google it, read about it. it. It is a real thing. So in this time, you had all these places, uh, when they passed the Great Society Bill, you had black families uh, moving into Caucasian um, urban neighborhoods mm-hmm. that were in the city. And then you had all this stuff with racism and prejudice going on. Uh, white flight was uh, a migration of Caucasians out of urban areas to the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these developers at that time, they knew that they wanted to build their own utopia that did not or will not have any minorities there. So what they did was they said, hey, we got to come up with a lot of money. And if we got to come up with all this money, who can pay us? Who can give us this money? So they end up proposing, trying to go to various banks and they end up saying, hey, you know what? Because of the discrimination mm-hmm. law on 64, they said, hey, you know what? Let's, let's go to the government. Let's go to the Federal Housing Association you know, talk to them and see if they can fund us. And sure enough, they had all different types of incentives that they had for building these houses where these houses were, were actually pretty cheap. These houses were going for under $10,000. So just think of a house we're selling back then in the 60s or early 70s for 10000 That's equivalent, equivalent to a house today being $90,000. Mm-hmm. It was very affordable. Any working class black family could afford this. However, we didn't get that privilege because in the, the, the deeds and the ordinance and these restrictions yeah. said that you cannot sell or lease 
or ever exchange the title to a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, Detroit is a good place, you know, to look at. Detroit's been around for, uh, I want to say roughly 120 years, somewhere around there. And mm-hmm. beforehand, it was minorities of black. I mean, I mean, um, majority of the people were Caucasian and you had less than 14% of African-Americans being the po- population for Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. But then when, you know, you had this bill and white flight took place in the uh, mid seventies, it turned from, you know, having 14% to nearly 90% of the population of the city was minorities. Yeah. So this thing, st- I mean, this thing still goes on to today, even with um, redlining in the uh, appraisals in, mm-hmm. in minority neighborhoods yeah. coming in a lot lower, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, and that, that brings me into us talking about the new trend of these inner city neighborhoods, these black neighborhoods and communities that are now being turned into what is called or dubbed gentrification mm-hmm. and they're basically pushing out those residents that have been there mm-hmm. for generations and generations and now what that's causing is those individuals are now being pushed out into other neighborhoods further mm-hmm. away from their places of employment and which is causing them to do what spend more money in transportation whether it's public or their own and then it's doing what causing their quality of life to go down because why they have to spend less on good food good and food because they're so busy spending their money on transportation to get to their place of employment and that's just one point that's not Mm -hmm. any of the other stuff that it's impacting which of course i hope that you can kind of go into a little bit more let's talk a little bit about the gentrification and Mm -hmm. the upside of that and the the con to it the pro and the con because you know people want their neighborhoods to look nice and pretty and you know new and fresh rejuvenated i think is the word you like to use here um but but let's talk a little bit about how that also impacts all communities not just the inner city it impacts everybody but specifically it will impact the inner city communities and communities of color yes yes it does um, so let's look at D.C., right, for, for example. You know, I feel like a lot of people are familiar with D.C. The chocolate right? city. Chocolate city. Um, I don't know how chocolate it is now, though. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, when white flight took place in D.C., and you had a lot of blacks that owned D.C., I mean, you had something during the 70s, the 80s, the war on drugs, and that tore D.C. up. And that tore a lot of these cities up as well. Because you have these people, again, going back to the Great Society Bill, mm-hmm. father is no longer in the house with mom. Father now has paying child support. She's getting welfare, whatever the case is, if yeah. that's the situation. And now father feels lonely and sad and doesn't feel like a man. Because in that generation, you had to provide to be considered a man. Correct. So now you have the war on drugs. The war on drugs took place. And you had a lot of abandoned buildings. You had a lot of crime in these areas, dysfunction, over-policing, just a terrible thing, right? And when you look at gentrification, a lot of people think of elderly people having everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And the city, cities look at things as how they can get the most money from something. A city is a business, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, just say you have your your grandmother who's pretty much uh, been living, um, been living in their house her whole life, Mm -hmm. right? 
and she paid her house off. And now she's, she's making $800 payments a year with, um, with her, her taxes, okay? Now, with the $800 a year taxes mm-hmm. that she's making, you know, to the city, the city's looking at that, like, okay, if someone goes into that neighborhood, buys the same house, fixes it up, and refinance or whatever the case is, mm-hmm. that house value may go up because the, the assessed tax value for the house, I don't know, could be where grandma lives. It's 90000 taxes, 800 But if someone goes in and buys grandma's house mm-hmm. for $80,000, put fifty in it, and it looks nice, and more and more people do that, and now the tax go from $800 to $1,600 in, you know, in a year's time, mm-hmm. the city's for it. You know, yeah. I mean, we have these things now with these opportunity zones. It's something that's before our time yeah. with everything. It's, it's, it's a great thing that happened, you sure. know. At the sure. same time, you have to know how to utilize it to get the tax benefits. So mm-hmm. you have all these developers. You have all these investors that are going in, buying stuff cheap, fixing it up, or even just say that I want to be close to a brewery. There's a brewery that's downtown or, mm-hmm. or like five, ten minutes away. And if I buy in a neighborhood that's already established, I have to pay, you know, four or $500,000 for this house. But yet I can probably build something if I buy the land cheap. So I'll buy, the, I'll buy Ms. Sue's house for $90,000, bulldoze it, and build a house that I really want, like and love, for like two fifty. Mm-hmm. I still come out for less money than if I bought in a neighborhood that was desirable, if you will. And now the city is saying, I can charge you more money. Yeah. Because your house is worth more. And the mm-hmm. city's okay with that because there's more tax dollars that they can spend, whether they spend it in schools, pay employees, do functions, is more money that they can have. And this sure. is why cities are more prone to have gentrification go on. A lot of times people say, nah, we don't really want that. We want to have our elders live there. But yet when the elders die, they normally leave their houses to their kids or their grandchildren. And the grandchildren just don't, you know, they normally don't have the education uh, to, to know what to do with the house. Right. Some people look at a house as a liability instead of an asset. Right. Or they just, you know, thinking about how can I get a paycheck today or whatever the case is. Right. So you have people that are hounding this, this, this class of folks who own houses right. in these areas and don't know what they have. Yeah. They buy it for little or nothing, yeah. make the improvements, Mm-hmm. And now they have un, like they, they make their own bank if you think about it. You yeah. can borrow it yourself. You can use that do that to fund projects, live life, do whatever you want, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in the city on the other end, like I just want to kind of bring it all back all together, the city on the other end looks at it like, hey, if you do that, we don't really say that we agree with it, but if you do that, we'll take your money. Mm-hmm. You know? You have yeah. all these different programs and nonprofits that different cities uh, talk about, and even like the city of Charlotte, there was a nonprofit that uh, got houses from the city of Charlotte at a low cost. Mm-hmm. And what they'll do is they'll make affordable housing for a couple of years, but then they'll turn around and sell the house for much more money than yeah. like they'll get. And it was a nonprofit that was running a hybrid model. No, it's super for profit. <laughs> yeah, super for, it's nonprofit, but we just like the profit. Yeah, we like to keep the profit. Yeah. We, say, we keep it. Yeah. You know what? That brings up a point that I want to talk about, though. Affordable housing. Affordable housing. That's a that's a oxymoron, if you will. Um, it's it's not so affordable. Right. And, you know, the funny thing is that millennials. Right. They 
they were the ones who made urban metropolitan areas and developing the look of an inner mm-hmm. city. They are the millennials, including myself. I'm a millennial, and you are. We were the ones who made it attractive and sexy, and we wanted our places to live to be more like in you know, an urban and metropolitan, and that was sexy to us, right? That was attractive mm-hmm. to us. But then we now, you know, mm-hmm. as of I think since COVID hit, mark me if I'm wrong, this is your space. Since COVID hit now, we are now trending out of those urban areas, those metro areas. So we're talking about developing up these locations to be attractive and sexy to these millennials who made them sexy and attractive, right? But Mm. now we're out of there. We don't want to live there anymore. We want to live in a more suburban type of area that's less expensive. We, We can't afford it. So talk to us a little bit about the migration of millennials today. Yeah, so breweries were kind of a big thing. You had dispensaries, like the, the, the art of living, right? Mm-hmm. The how and what you do and from a day-to-day time, your lifestyle. So going back to uh, white flight, when you have these um, families that had babies and kids and such, and they got these houses for dirt cheap, built all this equity, sent their kids to college, bought other real estate, other assets to build wealth. These kids who are we grew up with the, yeah. these millennial kids that families lived in these suburbs. Mm-hmm. They pretty much went and moved to the city. So we, we pretty much uh, as a millennial, we kind of, we go against everything. We question everything, our yeah. ancestors, you know? <laughs> and with that being said, they said, Hey, I'm going to change of life. I'm going to move to, I don't know, Los Angeles. I want to move to New York. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live in New York. Then when, you know, we had this big change, People moving there, doing all kinds of different stuff. And now with this tech age, you have all these tech jobs where you can literally work from home, yeah. be in a big city, live this lifestyle and things of that nature. Well, yeah. when COVID hit, mm-hmm. you had more people that lived in these ginormous cities like Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, New York City, Houston, Dallas, that wanted to get away to better living. I'm finding that more people from those top tier cities yeah. are moving down um, just because they realize that the, the price of living is a lot cheaper. You can have more money yeah. and, and keep your money living here doing your something. quality of life instantly goes up instantly. So I've had several people when COVID hit uh, a while back ago where they pretty much was like, Hey, I work for this company. I work from home. Mm-hmm. I'm based out of New York. They still want to pay you my New York salary. I want mm-hmm. to buy something in Charlotte and live a lot better. So it takes me to the different types of cities, right? And this is what developers look at. So let's go over an A-type city. A-type, A-list, you know, whenever you think of like big city, big city life, big business in the city, it's like your New York's, your Miami's, your your Dallas, your Houston, Texas, your Los Angeles, your Sacramento and Seattle, Washington. Those are like your A-list cities. And then we drop down to another tier of your B-list cities. Mm -hmm. These are like your Charlotte, your Fort Lauderdale's, Mm -hmm. your Orlando's, your Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're they're a big city, but it's it's still got a lot of growth. There's a lot of opportunity there. So a lot of investors, like like I have a lot of people from uh, from D.C., Mm -hmm. that D.C. is an A-list city, and there is no land to build in D.C. Right. However, these developers saying that, hey, we can – take the same model of how DC was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. move to Charlotte, North Carolina and do the same thing. 
Yeah. And this is what developers and savvy real estate investors are doing. They're right. coming to these B and C list cities. And, and let me go over C list. C list are more of like your small town, big yeah. cities. So like in North Carolina, we have a, um, a Greensboro. Greensboro and Florida. I know like Cocoa Beach is like that. It's like a small mm-hmm. town. Yeah. People know about it. It's on the, it may be on the map, but it's kind of <laughs> still a little, yeah, ain't no Miami. It has a beach. <laughs> it has a beach, right? It has a beach and a boardwalk. Mm-hmm. It works, right? <laughs> so um, a lot of these developers and investors are coming to the cities. Yeah. They're meeting with city council and city officials, telling them about all these projects they're going to do. When you have big projects, that are in place, it increases the quality of life. It also gives your city a better chance of pitching major jobs to come to your area. Mm-hmm. So like uh, a while back ago, Charlotte tried to pitch for Amazon headquarters. And yeah. we showed all the things that Charlotte was doing to come to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. We got all these things that are about to happen yeah. that are going to develop that your people can live in. And they can live in and, and live a great life because mm-hmm. the cost of living isn't that expensive. Yes, I have Key Audrey with me, 10 years licensed real estate broker, also my former co-host, but he is still on there, ESPN Radio's media personality for Coffee and Cash Flow show. You can catch him on there. So I want to talk real quick, Key, because we're running into my subscribers checking out on us, and I want them to hear this point. I want them to understand some of the sources that you are aware of that can build wealth for them. I want them to receive understanding how we can build wealth. So- Talk to them a little bit about those sources really, really quick if you can. Give them some nuggets. All right. So what you should do is understand patterns. Because one thing is like you look at patterns, whether it's behavioral or economic thumbprints, patterns are going to tell you everything that you need to know. Go If you have a place that you know that's been gentrified recently, go into the, the supermarkets. Look at the, what type of food is there. Look at, you know, notice the infrastructure of all the commercial space. Is there a lot of glass there? Then look at the homes, like if the homes are newer uh, or are they close to any type of access point, like a highway, freeway, things of that nature. Pay attention if there's any older homes, what type of upgrades people are doing with the older homes. But the main thing I want you to really do, like take into consideration all this stuff, is get involved with your local city government. In a sense of if if you want to know what's going on, ask a council member or or reach out to someone who's in the zoning department or an ordinance board. Every city and town should have these committees because you have to let people know what you're doing. It has to be voted before it can be done. Now, the city of Charlotte has a 2040 plan that we're working on and we're getting close to coming up with the 2040 and being able to submit all these plans in action and submitting it and making sure that it's, it's done to a T. Okay. Your city has the same thing, mm-hmm. whether it's the 2040, 2050, 2060 plan, there's a plan out there. You can get access to it and it should be public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Find out what different sources are, are pointing to transportation mm-hmm. and pointing to widening of the street, bike lanes, uh, any type of major grocery stores coming into the, any mm-hmm. type of food deserts. Uh, yeah. You can easily go to Crane Watch. Uh, that's something that's uh, more of a business journal thing. You can subscribe to that. It's like $15 a month. If you want to start your real estate investing career mm-hmm. or if you just want to own real estate properties or buy your first house yeah. and make sure that you stay and build wealth and equity, I feel that you doing these steps and learning what's coming yeah. And positioning yourself for what's going to happen, be there before it happened, 
pay the price before it happens, then when it happens, watch your equity go mm. through the roof. Say it. I want to piggyback on that because I did work for the city at some point in my career. And mm -hmm. I learned that the DOT, the Department of Transportation, handles a lot of what you just kind of talked about, the, the bike lanes, the widening of the streets and things like that, economic development departments as well. So you can attend those meetings and you can actually hear and understand what uh, even city council, like you said, those yeah. meetings, those are public meetings. You can actually come to those meetings and listen to what they are going to be doing so that you can prepare yourself for you and your family where someone who's not listening and tuned in to what the city is going to be doing, you might miss out if you don't go to those meetings. So those are really good points, Key. Key, Audrey, guys, we appreciate you coming and joining us today, Key, and sharing this information with us. Uh, Key, any final thoughts? They're not making any more land. Buy some. Mm. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> I love it, Key. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll be checking in soon. Take care, man. Peace out.